Okay, so uh, last week we looked at perfect church, and of course we know that there is no such thing as a perfect church, but let's move toward uh, that, that goal, a good and noble goal that we can have as, as part, of, part of the journey. Today I want to look at the, uh, the profile that might be for the perfect pastor, and I'm, I'm going to go to a portion of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so I invite you to find that uh, portion if you have your Bible with you. Good for you. If not, listen as I read, and perhaps, maybe we won't get it projected, but that's all right, beside the point. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4 says this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. <clears throat> be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. <clears throat> and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, I suspect that in the installation service next week, there will be some charge that is given to the, uh, the pastor. And in the event that they have modified things so significantly, you can tell Pastor Scott that everything he needs to hear can be found in this sermon today. So he can just listen to it. As a matter of fact, if you want to cut the service short, feel free to do that because sometimes those things can go on. <clears throat> That's not to say don't come. That means to say sometimes they can just drag a little bit. Um, now, I don't know what you think the perfect pastor ought to look like. Um, I, I saw a description a number of years ago that, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he's, he's young. He has the, the, the one side of his hair is dark and wavy. The other is light and straight. Just to try to satisfy or please all the people. I read of one, one pastor who came to his church and he said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please the people. I've come and I'm going to please you all. And they were really struck. How in the world he could do that? He's, and the answer, the answer to that was, of course, he, plays, he pleased some when he came. He pleased some while he was there. And he pleased the rest when he left. So he accomplished his goal in terms of pleasing all the people. Our, our goal... Of course, the pastoral goal is not so much to please people, uh, being a people pleaser, but it is to please God in your service, and that's where you need to be. And 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 Frank alluded to the fact that I'm hammering. I I, I never viewed it as hammering, but if if it, if it hammers a bit, that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> about the importance of prayer, there is a book, uh, and I was looking for it earlier this morning, couldn't find it. It's uh, written by a fellow by the name of Terry Teckle, T-E-K-Y-L. And uh, it, is, it is called Prayed On, P-R-E-Y-E-D On, or Prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, For. Which one will it be? And it's dealing with the encouragement and support of pastors in ministry. Um, I hope that you will P-R-A-Y for your pastor. If you don't, I'm going to come back and haunt you is what I'm going to do. Uh, you need to be, and, and let him not become the focus uh, as P-R-E-Y. Don't pray on him. 
but pray over him and pray for him, and that is important. <clears throat> I did find, however, one description of the perfect pastor, and you can take this for what it's worth. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. In some churches, that would be, that would be delightful. Um, he condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. You guys might want to know that. Okay, uh, description. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, donates $30 a week to the church. You do the math. He's 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church council and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. Now, with all of those contrasts, you know that it's tough. And in our day, it is tough to be a pastor. Statistically, pastors don't stay long as they used to. It used to be that a pastor would have a lengthy ministry, and in some churches that's the case. But uh, depending on what denominational documentation you read, the average stay. In some churches, the average stay of a pastor is only two years. So I've accomplished what might be for some an average stay. Um, hopefully yours will be a longer, longer tail at that point. But having heard about the perfect church, it's time to give a little bit of equal time to the issue of the perfect pastor. And it is your responsibility to care for the shepherd of the flock that God as uniquely orchestrated to send your way. And I trust that you will pray for him and for Sarah, his wife as well, and the family as a whole. Now in our day, there are a lot of models for what, what a pastor should do or what a pastor should be. Uh, sometimes the church has become very much uh, more of a business model. And so the pastor is essentially the CEO in some larger churches, they will even have an executive pastor who handles all the machinery of things, or they'll specialize things a little bit more for pastoral staff as the church grows. And I understand that uh, in our world, in our day, there are a lot of things that need to happen for pastors to be able to accomplish the task. There are just a lot of pieces of things that there needs to be a familiarity with, a, a knowledge of, but but the danger is we tend to make this uh, this pastoral model to be more of an executive CEO kind of guy. Um, I don't find that model described in the scriptures. That that's more of our current doing. But what I do find is what I for you in First Peter five. Um, and essentially, I think that the model that needs to happen for the pastor of any church is simply 
pastoral in its ministry. It's a shepherding function. Uh, the Bible uses that analogy about sheep and and Jesus even describes himself as the great shepherd of the sheep. And and sometimes when we get uh, compared to sheep, it's not always a compliment because sometimes they can be pretty stupid critters. And uh, I, I won't say any further in that in terms of how it relates to human beings, but sometimes we are pretty stupid people at times. We think we have a lot of stinking thinking that occurs in our head and our heart. And that creates for us a problem. So I looked to Peter today uh, for the counsel to the church on what that role uh, is in terms of the perfect pastor. So let me let me just share with you three pieces that are part of the of the message this morning. First is this: it's a key area, and the first key area is that Peter declares first of all the role of shepherding, the role of shepherding. And he talks about it in uh, in in 1 Peter 5, and I'll go to a couple other portions of Scripture to pick up some additional uh, support in terms of this shepherding role. He talks about, uh, first of all, the qualifications of elders, and as he puts it in verse 1 and 2, uh, talks about verse 2 in particular, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your and, and it describes the way in which we are to do that. Um, if you were a historied alliance church, and in some ways you are, but you may not be familiar with some of the names I'm going to use now. There was a book written several years ago now by Keith Bailey. Uh, he was a longtime alliance um, pastor, superintendent, vision of church ministry leader in a national office. Um, and and he, he's, the title of the book was called Servants in Charge. And it was a little descriptive. It was more like a tutorial thing for church leadership and pastors, deacons, and that kind of thing, teaching kind of thing. What are the responsibilities and roles of that kind of thing? But, but, but the title of that book is important, Servants in Charge. We sang it in a song, servant song. We sang that. Let me be your servant. And uh, that the, the pastor is not one who just sits in his office and calls the shots. First of all, you don't have an office here. So he can't sit in it to call the shots. He's going to have to figure out some other model. But, but at that point, that's not it. It's, it's to serve. And, and that's a biblical model as it comes along. It talks about the qualifications. Now, if you were looking at a couple of the portions of Scripture and you you were find First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Um, let me just read one, one portion and then I'll let the Titus portion, first chapter, go for today. He, he talks about, there are primarily two words that talk about it, uh, the role of a pastor. One is translated, there's a translation of a Greek word uh, that's presbuteros. We get our word Presbyterian from that, okay? So that literally translates elder. And so uh, uh, that's one of the words. The other word that's used in the scripture to describe pastoral function is episkopos. Can you hear, hear what that might Episcopal, you know? It's a, we translate the word bishop uh, that way. So those two words are the most commonly used words to describe pastoral responsibility. One who is an, uh, an elder, one who is a shepherd, if you will, or ruler is another word for that. 
and one who was a bishop. And then oftentimes we talk about more of that being the overseer kind of thing. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, you read this description. Here's a trustworthy saying, uh, Paul says, <clears throat> if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, there's a word episkopos, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be, and here's a grocery list of descriptions of qualification. He must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, see that his children obey him with proper respect. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Similar descriptors in the passage in Titus 1 through 6 through 1, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The point of this is there are qualifications. You, being a pastor is not something where you wake up one day and say, I think I'd like to do a career change. I want to be a pastor. It takes some get to that point. And it takes qualifications, not so much from the academic side. I'm sure that I could probably find something in the mail somewhere that would get me whatever, licensed, certified, qualified. I could probably find somewhere, someplace that could do that. But but it, it's more than that. It's character. It's demonstrated character, good example. Proven character. And it's the qualities of heart and life that will enable you to lead by example. There are, there are qualifications of elders and shepherds. The experiences, the second piece to this uh, role of shepherding, uh, it talks about in verse 1, it said, To the elders among you, I, point, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Um, Sometimes, and many times, serving in a pastoral ministry is a tough spot. Peter talks about a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who shares in the glory to be revealed. There are guys, and I'll, I'll just use the, the male gender. <clears throat> There are guys who have experiences in ministry in such a way that it is not a positive experience. They become preyed, P-R-E-Y-E-D, on, and become the target for criticism and for gossip and all kinds of things that can head their way uh, and some, and, and in too many cases, serving in pastoral ministry is not an easy spot. And the experiences, while we might think that, wow, he is, serves as a member of the cloth, a clergy, he's a cleric, you might think there's a kind of prestige. And, and perhaps there may be to some degree, 
but boy, there's a lot of other stuff that comes with that responsibility that you would prefer not to have. Now, I know that in any profession, uh, you can become the object of criticism and complaint and whatever. But I'm saying don't, don't presume that the pastoral ministry is a piece of cake where you don't have to work real hard in order to do anything successfully. You, you, you have to understand that the experience of serving as a pastor can be a challenging Exhortation to the elders here in verse 2 says, Be flock of God that is under your care. Be shepherds of God's flock. Take care of the sheep. Um, in the intro, I had used the phrase I heard from Leon Young, the former district superintendent a number of years ago. I think I referenced him before. But but he, he made a statement that stuck with me all these years. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, in our day, with its emphasis on education, uh, it's not a difficult thing to go through educational roles, bachelor's degree in whatever, and a master's degree in whatever, and then maybe a doctorate uh, de min or, or what, uh, any other kind of doctoral degree, doctor letters, whatever, whatever, whatever degrees are. And you might, you can put DD after your name or your title or D-min. And it only indicates that you've been able to accomplish some academic thing. But that's not the critical thing. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the shepherding role is the clear model for what a pastor is to be about. Now, sometimes, sometimes sheep like being cared for. We have, I don't have a sheep. I have a white Bichon, okay? That's the closest thing to a sheep that I've got, okay? But I tell you, that dog follows me. It's like I can walk around saying, me and my shadow. That dog is bonded with me. Now, the dog tolerates Barb, but it's bonded with me. I can, I can, well, you, I should probably not tell you this, but I can't even go to the bathroom alone. There, then there's no privacy. I can go in and sit, and I look, and there's a dog sitting right in front of me. Like, okay, you don't have anything better to do? Go, go to the squirrel. Go look at the squirrels, you know. Um, but so there's this, you know, following along in terms of its proximity. But that whole that whole piece of, of bonding or connecting kind of thing is it just it just happens. And sometimes when that occurs, that dog likes to curl up and likes to sit next to me. And so I'll, I'll, it'll, it'll just curl up next to me, and every once in a while I'll pet it and that kind of thing until it's time to go to bed. And then it senses that. And it runs and hides under the couch. I just, I just, uh, uh, but anyway, it, it, it likes the attention. It likes the care. But sometimes it doesn't, like when it's time to get in your crate. And it's faster than I am at times. And sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. But, but sometimes, in terms of care, sometimes the animals or the pets like our care. Other times they prefer not. 
Now, this new pastoral couple will come and they will attempt to get to know you and build bridges with you. And you have the choice of saying, meh, I don't think so. Or you can say, here's, here's who I am. This is where I'm at. This, these are the things I'm going through. And I will appreciate your prayer for me. I will, I will, I will give you permission to speak into my life, my heart, my world. And, and I will long for that partnership together in prayer and support and encouragement that shows how much you care. In a larger congregation, it may not be possible for one person to be the, the one who is able to shepherd the group. This congregation of this size should be no problem to be able to shepherd you and care for you. But that's the role, the primary role, I think, of the perfect pastor is he's a shepherd, and he will exercise his care for you. Um, you know in the journey, perhaps you know in the journey, uh, the Wills family from Harrison Valley, that there was a, a, a tragedy after, I think it was, had come and spoken here, just on that same, like the next weekend afterwards, where there was a young boy that uh, died uh, uh, of a gunshot wound, um, accidental situation, and that, that's a that's a tough spot. I watched the funeral service online and saw uh, Pastor Scott and also uh, Tim Miller, the former pastor, be able to speak into the life of the family and and provide a touch. Um, I I know that this pastor will care for you. And I believe his heart will be toward you without question. And he'll he'll want to weep with you when you weep, and he'll want to rejoice with you when you rejoice. But let him in. Let him in in terms of that opportunity and responsibility. The second area here described in this portion of Scripture regarding the perfect pastor is that Peter describes the manner of shepherding, not only the role, that's the primary function, but how does that work? What does that look like? And he gives three kind of contrasting phrases that describe. <clears throat> and so here's, here's what you would, you would read. You serve as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing. So first manner is you do that willingly. You do that willingly, not because you must. Um, the phrase I have to is probably not the best descriptor, but I want to is the best descriptor for that rule of shepherding and the manner in which that happens. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. And I know that you and I all deal with stuff, things you, you have to do be, because it's your job or, or, or there are expectations of people. But you will find in the heart of the shepherd that willingness to do that, to do whatever needs to be done and demonstrate care. You know, and, and that shows up in a variety of ways. It shows up in terms of just coming alongside to help. And so if the pastor says, God, can I help you? Can I serve? 
what can we do, you know, and, and demonstrate some care? Because he wants to. There's a willingness that will come. Also, this, the, the contrasting phrases, um, he's willing as God wants you to be. He's not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So there's an eagerness to do that, not simply because of, um, we, have, we have acronyms in our world today. Uh, an acronym I remember coming across a number of years ago was called WIFM, W-I-F-M. Literally means, what's in it for me? And sometimes we can say, well, I'm going to what's in it for me? What, what, what do I get out of this deal? And, and that certainly is not the manner in which pastoring or shepherding occurs. It's not because what you get out of it. And then the uh, third descriptor that's here in terms of the, the manner of shepherding, it says, verse 3 says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, we're talking about the perfect pastor, but I want to tell you the pastors don't get it perfectly. There are times when we just ball it up. There are times when we, when we don't listen well. And it's not an issue of hardness of hearing. It's an issue we just don't want to listen. And so, so there's no immunity. But, but in terms of the model, here he's talking about serving as an example. Um, if, if you want your, the body of Christ to be a people of prayer, it's got to start with you being a man of prayer. If you want the body of Christ to be people who serve, you, you've got to learn to serve yourself as well. Not serve yourself in terms of, but you have to set the pace, set the example, set the tone in terms of service. And whatever the area is, it, it, it's not above the pastor to do. When, when we came to this description and talked about the, the pastor is a, uh, that from, it works from 8 a.m. till midnight. He's also the church janitor. There may be times when the pastor may get behind the working end of a broom or a vacuum cleaner or, or whatever it may be. It is not to be above that. And I know that there are some guys who think, oh, that's, that's for somebody else to do. But is there, is there something that is so above us or so beneath us that we wouldn't do it. Modeling that in terms of example is the manner of shepherding, and we do that willingly, we do that eagerly, and we do that exemplary in terms of the model, not lording it over other people. That's second area. Third area. Key area number three, Peter anticipates the reward of shepherding. The reward of shepherding. Verse four, put it this way. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When you do the, do the job right in terms of shepherding the people of God, when, when you demonstrate in the manner in which you're doing, there, is, there are two things that occur. One is there is always the looking to the appearing of the chief shepherd, the appearing of the chief shepherd. It does not say, and if the shepherd appears, it's, it, there's no question in Peter's mind or in Paul's mind that the promise of Jesus that he made as the great shepherd of the sheep who knows and hears 
us is going to come again. We live in light of that second coming of Christ. Christ our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King. That corner there, that corner there, and you can find another logo somewhere else. Catch all the pieces in terms of the crown and the coming king. When the chief shepherd appears, we live for that. Now, there may come times when in terms of the reward, you, you think about reward, you think about, okay, well, it's a benefit here. Well, uh, in, in, in some churches, uh, denominations, I guess, you know, there's a kind of, you know, plateau of sorts or a plane you go to, uh, to to receive certain financial compensation and you can have a good income. Um, but for many churches, that's not a part of the picture. That they, they just aren't filled with a well-endowed congregation who, who makes the pastor very wealthy and enables him to live a life of luxury. Um, you can you can find those guys on television if you want. You know you can you can find that kind of thing out there, and then you read about them in terms of multi-million dollar mansions. But that's not a part of the motivation for ministry. The reward is in terms of the coming of the chief shepherd. There's there's really you you want to hear you want to hear when you've done when you've done your work. And, and service on earth. You want to hear, and you potentially will hear the same thing that a pastor would hear in terms of ministry and from the words of Jesus, simply this, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord, of your Lord. And you want to hear that. I want to hear that. Regardless of vocation, you want to hear, you want to live for that, to, to please God, to serve him, because we are coming down the home stretch of that appearing of the chief shepherd. I don't know how long this world's going to hold together. Uh, it, just, it seems like so many things starting to unravel. And I'm not a doomsday guy, and I'm not a you know, harbinger of doom kind of thing. But I want to say, I, I know one thing, we're closer now than when we first started, and that's that's the reality. But one of these days, this old world is going to groan and it's going to get so crazy it's just, that God is going to say, okay, it's enough. It's time. And I believe that it's important for us to be about the business of reaching other people for Jesus because there's a link between that fulfillment of the Great Commission and the return of Christ. That, that those, those, those are put together. So we have a responsibility while we're here. But it's the appearing of the chief shepherd. When he appears... When you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And that's the approval of the chief shepherd. You receive that crown of glory. And, and that's, so that's why you've got the logo here in terms of the crown on the bottom there, the picture, um, the crown of glory. And then that, was a, that was an award. That was a reward. It was, it was an acknowledgement of success or achievement or accomplishment, whatever kind of race it would have been run in the day in which Paul or Peter would have preached in terms of any kind of athletic kinds of things or games that they would have, there would be this sense of, you know, I get I get to hold this task. It's like like competing in NCAA wrestling, which was on yesterday or last night. And uh, just FYI, Penn State had four 
guys that were all into the finals, and all four of them won their matches. And so there's a there's this big hoopla in Penn State State College about over that all about all all of that. And so they get their their, their trophies or whatever whatever it is that are given to them. But it's the approval of the chief shepherd that we live for. It, it's his good. It's his work. Is well done. You got it right. Good and faithful servant. And that's the longing of the heart of any shepherd. Um, I've, I've pastored several congregations. I, 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 I was a youth pastor for two years in Minnesota, and then I went to a solo pastor up in upstate New York, and I was there for six years. <clears throat> and then I moved to New Cumberland in the Eastern District, and I was there for 26 years. And then I moved to Johnstown. I was there for seven years. So I've been around in terms of different kinds of things. And in all of those journeys, my heart cry has been, how can I serve you? I want to shepherd the flock of God. And I've been, I, I, I've had the opportunity as the shepherd of the flock of God to just be in some amazing, uh, very different settings. I, I was in one setting in, in New Cumberland when I wept with a couple who wept who had twin boys that were born prematurely, and each of them were about a pound apiece, and I held them in my hands. And I wept with Bill and Dolly over the loss of those children. I've, I've done funeral services. I've delighted in weddings. Uh, there's a variety of experiences that you can go through that, that have a sense of fulfillment and delight and specialness to it. Things that you get to keep that no one's going to take from you. And even if you never experience some of those kinds of things, it's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to shepherd. And that's what the heart of a pastor needs to be in the world today. Where they care and where they are given permission to care. Now, sometimes, sometimes when you say, "Okay, I'd let you care. Uh, I'll let you help. Let me walk with me on this issue," and, and maybe you walk through a particular need. And sometimes it's easy to put up barriers and say, "Well, that's close enough. That's as much as I want of God today. Thank you very much." But my prayer is for you as a congregation to be wide open to the ways in which God will use this pastoral couple to be a benefit to you as the body of Christ and that he will help, in dependence upon God, that he will help facilitate your growth, nearness to God, develop heart for God, all of those positive kinds of things that, that you'll allow him to do that and, and let him walk with you into the depths of intimacy with God. His heart, I'm sure, will be, I just want you to know God better. I want to know God better as a pastor. And I'm sure that his heart will be that way. The church today needs men who are more than CEOs of a corporation. It needs more than a charismatic leader to lead the charge of the church into his world. It needs more than a shrewd businessman to work financial wonders with diminishing resources, as is so often the case in many churches in our world today. It needs a shepherd who will feed the sheep, care for the sheep, 
correct the sheep when they stray, and love the sheep through all seasons, you'll likely not find a perfect shepherd. There will always be something about it. It'll be different than the last guy. And sometimes those differences will polarize things for you. Don't let them. Say, God, you're going to send this pastoral couple to be part of the journey of City Light Church. Help me to learn to love them. Help me to learn from them. Give me a teachable spirit. Help me to, help me to understand that I don't know it all. And I've got room to grow with you and room to go with you. Help me along that way. You won't find that in terms of a perfect pastor. But I, I, I want to tell you that by God's grace, you'll become more whole, more mature, more complete as you walk together. The qualities here counseled by Peter are given. Love him. Listen to him. Follow him. Even as he follows the chief shepherd. And when you do that, the blessing of God rests upon you and him and the church that Christ is longing to establish. Last week when we started, we started with a benediction, the <laughs> blessing. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. I want to offer a blessing for you today as well. But I go to a little book that only has one chapter. At the end of that one chapter, makes this wonderful blessing. It says this. To him who is able to and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, or our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now let me pray over you today. Thank you for the journey, Father. Thank you for each opportunity you've given to us, Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday by Wednesday, to gather. Other opportunities, perhaps during the week, in ministry opportunity, mission, meal preparation, and all of those kinds of things. Special events, light the night, and a variety of things that can and have been a part of the journey here. Thank you, Father, that you've attended to this body of Christ. And I thank you for each family unit, each individual who names this as their church family. And I ask today that as you gaze into the hearts of this folk individually, that you will let the smile of heaven be upon them. I pray, Father, that you will bless them and keep them. I pray that you will stretch them and grow them. I pray that you will bless materially 
these families and as they honor you that they will experience the full blessing of God that, that is above and beyond what they could even ask or imagine. I pray, Father, for an, a harvest, an inflow of people who need the Lord in some further way. And I pray that this congregation will be a light to this city. It'll be more than just a name. It'll be a reality. And that you would do far above anyone who is a part of this congregation, who comes to this congregation, has been a part in the past. Above and beyond what they could even imagine a church body could look like. Grant great grace to be upon each one of these friends. And I thank you for the opportunity to walk together in the journey and ask you to cause that your face would continue to be toward this group and give them your peace and your presence for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.